podcast world was shaking. We're back. This life ain't for everybody. Today's episode, again, brought to you by our friends, Lynchburg, Tennessee, Jack Daniels, Tennessee Sour Match Whiskey. Enjoy it responsibly. Never allow underage drinking. Never drink and drive. Always have a designated driver. Think. Be responsible. Be held accountable. Hold yourself accountable. Today's episode is also brought to you by our friends and family at Meet. Meet your maker. We're always hunting and fishing. We're always butchering and processing. And meet, M-E-A-T, meetyourmaker.com, made with meat on Instagram. It's given us the ability to become homemade butchers, processors, vacuum sealers, grinders, mixers, packers. It does it all. The entire system gives you so much pride in your wild game, everything that you want to make sure that you keep for an extended period of time. You don't want it to get freezer burnt. Everything that meat stands for lets us supply that wild game bounty, domestic beef, pork, chicken bounty, garden vegetables, chilies, gravies, you name it. We've put it into this system and it comes out perfect every time. Thank you for believing in the culture of the American hunter, the gatherer, the provider, meat, and finally... Because we're with Nate Day again, today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Lear Toppers. Not only do they aesthetically look sharp, it's amazing how many people own Lear Toppers. When you become part of the family, it's kind of like being on a Harley and you wave into everybody else that's on a Harley. You see people all over the world with Lear Toppers, Lear folding covers. It's something that is made by the tag group. We choose Lear for safety, security. Our dogs are in there. Our guns are in there. Our hunting gear is in there. Everything that we travel with and make sure that we have to make our living, our livelihood with, we depend on Lear to get us down the highway safely and securely, never allowing it to get wet, never allowing anybody to get inside with all of its security and double, triple protection. Check them out. Get a Lear topper. Become part of the Lear family. L-double-E-R. Lear toppers. They're second to none and there's absolutely nothing like them. So thank you again, Lear. Thank you to all of our partners. And thanks to Nate Day for being back part two. And we left part one. I want, I just told Nate, think about, you know, some. you remember how we left part one about how we wanted to get into some of these excursions, the good, the bad, the conflict, things that can happen on the road. Did you give any thought, my man? How are you? Oh, yeah. I'm happy to be back. Thank you for having me here. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely something I'm always thinking about. You know, it's just part of the lifestyle. And, um there's always something new to learn <clears throat> and um, always new experiences to be had out there on the road or off-road. So when when you say on the road, give the listeners and myself an idea, Nate, of how much is it? I mean, according to your social media, it looks like you all are gypsies that you live on the road, but I know you have a domesticated home in Idaho. But how often do you leave that home and get out into the back country or into the mountains or wherever life might take you. If I had to guess and, and put a number on it, I'd be about a third of the year. I mean, uh, we spend months at a time out on the road, going to different parts of the country or seeing different things, even in our own state here in Idaho, we're kind of new to the state of Idaho. And, um, so it, it, it provides a lot of opportunities to get away from this, I guess, domestic house, you know, while still exploring not too far from home. So, I mean, we're already planning on our, our, <laughs> our January pilgrimage back down to like Texas and uh, Florida and the South. And we're going to spend our time out there just checking out new parts of the country that we haven't really gotten to explore a ton of. So it's all in the planning. So if you had to guess, like, 
or can you give us an idea or a hint of where you're going? Like, what are some of the things that you have not seen that you've heard about that you want to see? Are you a tourist kind of guy that's like, hey, we're going to go see Mount Rushmore? Or are you more like, take it as it comes, and we're just going to get on the road, and we're going to create our own tourist uh, stops? More, we're, going to, I, we're going to create our own scenic stops. I guess a little bit of both, but in in the way you're phrasing it, I'd, I'd be more of a, a tourist, if you were. We plan ahead, and we know the regions. We basically do it as... Um, you know, objectives. We pick an area. And once we know we want to go discover or explore an area of the country, then that's when we shoot ourselves out there and, you know, find our, our way around and learn what we like about it. I mean, one of the places that I haven't been to yet, uh, or we haven't been to yet is, I don't even know what you call it. It's south of New England, north of the south. That's Smoky Mountain region. Um, definitely had a, haven't had a chance to go up there, spend too much time in Tennessee, Kentucky, you know, those areas, Virginia. I actually have never been to that part of the country yet. So that's something I think we're looking forward to, but uh, it's not a hurry to get into. I mean, we're still sticking with pushing the boundaries of what's familiar. And for us, that's, you know, Oklahoma, Texas, you know, all the way across through Mississippi, Louisiana. I haven't been to Georgia yet other than the airport. And that was a nightmare. So everybody loves Atlanta. (laughs) I think it's like the busiest airport in the world or in America, at least. it's part of hell, so it's probably pretty pretty busy. <laughs> you think hell's busy, huh? Are you saying that there's a there's a waiting line to get into hell? I don't think it's a waiting line. It's more of like a drop in type scenario. But uh, yeah, I think the population difference is probably a lot higher down there. Really? A lot like California. Ooh. California has a huge population similar to similar to. I kind of <laughs> like that. That might be a movie right there. So where where have where does your mind take you with this lifestyle? Um, you know, people can watch all of your adventures online. They can watch them on social media. Where does it take you? Uh, like, what is kind of mindset does it put you in? Is it something that you have to have? Is it an addiction? Because here's the deal. Traveling is cool, but traveling can be a pain in the ass. There's a ton of preparation. There's a ton of finances. There's a ton of stuff that can go wrong. There's a There's a ton of loading unloading packing unpacking there's a lot of well when we get back we got to regroup and we got to get our whole house back in order when we're gone is our house safe is it secure do you bring the dogs with you are your neighbors watching your house do you have a security system there's all this stuff when you're away for extended periods of time that goes through it so is it something that you have to have for your psyche is this what you're are you making your family do this or do you guys all get together and be like we're like the traveling wheelberries we want to get out there we want to explore we're like the new age lewis and clark and we want to get out there and, and and explore this world well actually i think it's it's definitely something that my wife and i enjoy doing and our kids are kind of like along for the ride they don't they don't quite understand all of it yet. I mean, cause you can, as a parent, I mean, I, I got to speak to this point as a parent, it's going to be what you make it for your kids. If you make it stressful, they're going to take it as a stressful thing to do. And they're probably not going to want to completely do it when they grow up. If you can find a way to build a system to where, you know, you, you prepare ahead of time, you, you get your ducks in a row as it were, and you get on the road and it isn't as stressful. They can take a load off. And the worst thing they have to deal with is, you know, counting road signs as we're driving or figuring out what you're going to do with them in the back seat, then they're going to enjoy it more. And then every stop you go to is less of a, you know, a dreaded thing. And they have something to look forward to. And of course, a big part of that is learning as you go. When I first started doing this, I was doing it in a Toyota, a 2001 Toyota Tundra with a suicide door, you know, the doors that open forward in the back. 
Yep. So you have the standard front doors and you have a suicide door and two little kids. And I think we went through Yellowstone in that. And it, it's just, you learn a lot. I didn't have a shell at the time. If I could, I, I mean, I probably would have put a, uh, a Lear capper on it, but you know, so learning that, you know, your gear is not safe when you go to see a geyser and you're just <laughs> like, like, all your stuff is tied down with cargo nets or however you do it. And you have things back there, like your stroller. I mean, nowadays you can get like a Bob stroller and that thing costs 450 bucks. I don't really know, but you know, you got these things and some tourists are going to come up and grab your stuff and take off with it. And you learn like the last time I was in Yellowstone, I think in 2020, um, it was remarkably uh, barren because the bus loads of tourists weren't coming through. Nobody was coming to America to see Yellowstone, but I was raided in a uh, newer tundra that I was driving across the country from Oregon to Indiana. And I think it was Ravens. You guys are familiar with Ravens, how smart those guys are. They absolutely decimated my picnic food. So, cause I usually just use a cardboard box for dry goods and I came back and everything was packed open they ripped it all out and they had a field day out on my truck so you learn things along the way part of its preparation part of it's your mindset with with what you're doing and what you're wanting to do and a lot of it is a ton of it is is what you learn along the way so if you go in with a good mindset knowing you're going to learn something knowing there's going to be some mistakes i mean it's kind of like buying an rv even salesmen nowadays will tell you when you buy an rv something's going to break within a week you know if you have somebody's not lying to you something's going to go wrong take it out, do short trips and figure it out, learn how to do the short trips, learn what's going to go wrong, learn what's going to, you know, be easy for you, difficult for you. Where are the pain points? And once you figure that out, then you can dive into the deep end, if you will. And so that's kind of our, our initial approach to this. And I think traveling of, in and of itself for everyone is like tattoos. I don't know if you have any tattoos, you're wearing a hoodie. <laughs> I, I, have, I have, I have one on my left shoulder in memory of my dad. I've got tattoos. My entire back is tattooed. My shoulders are tattooed. My hand has my a bomb right here. And I think if you looked at me next to somebody else with tattoos, everybody does it different. I mean, they are a tattoo. It's going to be permanent, most likely. But some people, I don't do any color, right? I do everything I do in black. So somebody else is going to get a tattoo for whatever reason. They're going to decide to do it with color or they're going to do the old, you know, uh, sailor style. You know, I don't even remember what they call that. Um, not Sailor Jerry, but uh, that's, that's the Betty whiskey Boop, or whatever. But, Betty Boot pinups. Yeah, you got the pinup style, the World War II style. You got the modern style. You got the goth style. You got you could do it any way you want. You could take a trailer. You could sleep in the back of your truck. I mean, the first time I took my wife to the Grand Canyon, we slept on an air mattress in the back of that tundra. That's travel. That's what we did. And we made the best of what we had, and we slept wherever we went in the back of the truck like that. Um, so anybody who's, who's going to do this, you can't have a standard expectation. I could take the same vehicle, same RV, same number of people and do a completely different trip to the same place. You know what I mean? It, it's a lot about weight, the way you look at it. And for me to tell anybody that, oh, the way I look at it is, is the, uh, this genre of way of travel. Well, that, that wouldn't be right because <laughs> it's ever evolving. You know, and one time I go out with an RV and we pull a uh, 37 foot toy hauler. We turn the back garage into the bedroom for all four of our boys. Cause I have four monstrous boys and there's just no place to put them. And, uh, we do one trip, it goes one way. We do another circuit trip, you know, a year later, and it's completely different. We handle things differently. We we equip things differently. We we figure things out, and we try to make the most of it. I think that my biggest flaw is um, I don't spend enough time in, in one area. 
it's what my wife would like to do more of you know just go there and just set up camp for a week or two and just really dive into an area we just continuously go and go and go because i'm i kind of have that bachelor travel style if you will do you i want to get into the organization part of it but you just brought up a thought on your last statement there nate was traveling again is great i've done a lot of it i've been all over the world hunting but as i start to mature more and more and i'm not saying i'm there yet but i find a lot of solitude at home no matter what that home might be are you saying that your home is on the road and that that's where you find your solitude or at your age now have you started to look at it like man, this is becoming a dread. I, I like being here. I like having all my stuff right here at my house. I like my neighbors. I like walking the dog. I like my own bed and my air conditioner and my TV and my Monday night football once in a while. Do you find yourself getting there or do you still get as excited as ever to get that RV loaded up? Or I keep thinking about the movie Meet the Millers, which is an absolutely hilarious travel movie. But do you still get excited for it or do you find yourself now like, oh man, I just want to chill. I really don't need to be out on the road as much. No, I definitely get excited to do it. Um, I think a lot of it has to do with uh, being prepared. You know, a lot of the mistakes early on that I made and a lot of the things that we did poorly made it hard to look forward to the next trip or the next outing. But I think once we figured out and we're still learning, you know, but once we figured out what we want these certain styles of travel to look like if we get on a plane and go over to uh the east coast for a month that's one that's one way of doing things and we have to be prepared for that and you you know as a father because after being a husband i'm a father and after you figure out your responsibilities and the things that you have to get done uh, to accommodate the little people you have you know then then you can breathe a little more so I think a big part of it is just, I, I, I am excited, but at the same time, I have a very cliche look at it. It's home is where the heart is. So I don't care if I'm here. I don't care if I'm on the road. As long as I'm prepared and I'm mentally ready for it and in the game. Okay. Well, then you bring up a great point right there. Is it as easy these days, your age now to become as mentally, you know, become mentally prepared as it was back when you first had that, that burning desire to be out on the road and explore new places? Is it easy to, you're a football player, you're an athlete. You had to be mentally prepared for Saturday different than you had to be for Friday film day or for a Monday walkthrough mentally prepared is different on all levels in athletics. Is it still easy for you to become mentally prepared knowing how much work it is to travel? It's easier now, actually. Um, Hmm. Then I think the reason is, is it has to do with uh, perspective and, you know, dealing with, and I don't want to use this word the wrong way, but as an athlete, as you put it, all my preparations were self-centered. You know, I don't prepare for my teammate. I don't get him ready. I don't make sure his, his tape is set out on his bench. You know, his socks are set. That's not my job. My job was to make sure my head was on straight. And I think when we start traveling, when we're, we're younger, it's very easy to get yourself ready. You know, I mean, you, you, everybody's going to struggle in some way whatsoever, but you know, after, a short period of time, the learning curve is a lot smaller when you're dealing with just yourself. And so after a while, you, you know, a big thing for me is learning to think of, think of others. You'd think it would come naturally to a lot of people, but, um, you know, realizing that, okay, I have to account for six people and I need to think what's necessary for them. 
So once you figure that out, no, it's, it's easier. It's just part of, you know, becoming who you're going to be. And if that's who you're going to be, then jump into it and be, be all about it. I understand that. I'm trying to get out of you though, that the main thing about being on the road, um, I think that obviously the mental preparation is a big part of it. It's, there's a lot that goes into it. Talk, let's talk about how important well, it's, it's very, I think there, there, we have a, a mutual friend, for example, like, uh, you're familiar with lifetime decoys, right? I'm not. Um, they're the ultralight decoy company made here in America. And they, uh, they're, they have a marketing guy, JJ Gust, or Gustafson okay. used to run on the run and gun tour for, uh, God, I forgot who did that. It was a Yeti or whatever. And I mean, he's a single guy. All he did was spend his entire time driving all over the country, hunting ducks and doing all that all up and down. I think the central flyway or, or whatever what he was doing all through Louisiana, Oklahoma, anywhere he could hunt, he was hunting for the entire season in a bread truck. And I think they still have their page up on Instagram, that, that run and gun tour. And him preparing he's got a lot to prepare for you know he's got a system down it's it's one person doing his thing and he's loading his decoys he's making sure he has what he needs license wise and, and things like that he's running all over the country seeing all sorts of different things meeting all sorts of different people but again comparing that to me could i throw him in my position and say go for that and, and get that done no i don't think he would and i think he'd agree it's not the same thing as far as mindset it is i enjoy what i do I enjoy getting out there. I don't see it as strenuous, uh, mostly because, you know, I, I try to think of myself as somebody who matures over time and, you know, I, I don't get the same expectation every time when I travel, if I go out every time thinking you said solitude earlier before, I'm never looking for solitude really. Never. I, 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 uh, I have a very small tank requiring solitude if you know if you can imagine that i don't require a great deal of it um i like my alone time sometimes i get what i need out of it but no to me it's about the experience and and the experience is best shared with the people that i like most and so as long as i have them with me it, it, there's any number of obstacles you could throw at it but it's all fun and it's all you know about creating better memories and better experiences along the way I grab my phone and I take notes when you say things. Um, I want to make sure that I don't get away from where my last question was kind of going, though. Um, are you you mentioned run and gun and you mentioned this company and this run and gun tour and things like that. And you also at the beginning of this conversation, Nate Day talked about like a bachelor traveler. Um well, when I think bachelor, I've walked into many dorm rooms and apartments in my bachelor days and seen what a bachelor lives like. I assume your wife and, and you don't want to live like a bachelor as far as preparation and organization skills go. But with four, what you describe as monster boys, there's probably a lot of messes, a lot of cleanup, a lot of, hey, what's going on? You know, these this I, I've been around kids. Does everything always get put back in the place that it's supposed to or intended to be? How much of a stickler are you for that lifestyle on the road of let's let's make sure that we're prepared and organized organization? Again, we're going back to that word athlete. Organization is the key to success. I've learned that a lot in life. Is that still true on the road or are you mostly just like, hey, 
whatever happens, happens. We're not going to be able to control all that little stuff. And our, you might walk into our motor home and it might look like a raven flew through it and just started t- opening the count, you know, all of the cabinets and throwing shit wherever he or she wanted to. Talk to me a little bit about the importance of organization and do you key in on it or is it not that big of a deal? I think it's, uh, it's very important to, to have some sense of organization at the very least. Uh, I think we have two versions of organized when we're traveling. We have start out organization where everything's perfectly put away. You know, they've got the, the little dressers all set up and uh, we like to take a PlayStation for them. It, it's a <laughs> it's a really good diversion if I need to set other things up. They can watch movies on it and all that kind of stuff. And we have all these DVDs and things. And then there's like, uh, you know, stop and go organization. So the boys will, you know, they'll, they'll settle into their room. They'll get things all messy as, you know, any kids will. And by the time I get back there, we maybe have stopped for one or two days or something. And there's a very simple understanding. And I think it comes down to setting a standard of what it needs to look like when we start rolling again. And a lot of it comes down to safety. And I think the word would be ergonomics. But uh, the ability to get through a vehicle without either destroying things or, you know, causing, you know, roadblocks in the little passageways and things like that um, and maintaining, you know, some sense of sanity. So I don't expect things to be perfect. So I would say we start out 100 percent, but when we're rolling down the road, we should be at least at 80 percent of what we started out at as far as cleanliness and things put away. Uh, when you're dealing with kids, that's, I think a fair amount to ask for, but reasonable, you know, and putting, I think one of the other things is, is trying to way to transition that workload. If you can look at it that way from the parents to the kids. So you make a short list, you don't try to bury them in something, but you're like, this is what we expect when we say, go to your room and get it straightened up. We're about to hit the road and they do it and they do it very well. So for example, um, I think as early as. I think eight years old, somewhere around seven or eight years old when my oldest son was around that age. Whenever we would stop, I knew that he, one, wanted to be a part of like the setup process, you know, and a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, let my kids set up. They uh, get to touch the button. Now, I could literally give my son my truck with a 37 foot toy hauler trailer. And once it's relatively in the right place, I mean, I have, if you look at my Instagram, mostly in stories because I don't want it to be permanent, but my son has driven my truck with that trailer and he's 10. And um, if I actually asked him to, he could set that entire thing up by himself. And the reason he can do that is because I took the time to make him part of that process. And so if I can do that, then my eight, now, well, he's about to be nine. My eight-year-old is also part of that process. And they, they take it very seriously because they'll take it as seriously as their parents present it to them. And so when you talk about like, you know, how crazy are things and blah, blah, blah. You know, uh, I would say only my now five, his birthday was yesterday, his five and six-year-old, they're the only ones that don't really account for any of that sort of major responsibility, but they still have the, you know, take care of the room type thing to do, but it gets easier and easier as I go because I, and not all people are like this, but I make sure they're part of that process. And by doing that, I don't have to worry about adding stress to myself. You know what I mean? I offload a, a little bit of it to them. I don't have to wait for a 16 year old to be like, Oh, dad, I don't want to move the truck because my 10 year old could do it better than a 16 year old. When you, I'm looking at it right now. 
I want to make sure that the audience has a good recollection of what you're describing to me and what we're discussing, Nate Day. You just mentioned a PlayStation. You're not trying to portray a lifestyle, I guess, that you guys are not modern. You guys are relying no, not on at all. you guys are rely, you're relying on things like toy haulers and RVs and the ease of motion, the the ease of keeping your kids occupied while you do something with a video game or maybe a DVD watching a movie. Talk to me a little bit about that mindset, what you're trying to portray. Are you, are you trying to portray a lifestyle that, that you want to show people, Hey, you can get out and do this. What is the reason why you want to showcase this day? You know, this day adventures, this day family adventures, if you will, to the rest of the world, because you guys have a large following. What are, what is the gist of this and what are we trying to do? I want to change one of the words you're using and, and I'm not trying to portray anything because if I was trying to portray something, it means I'm trying to outwardly change the way I look. So other people will find it attractive or other people will find what I do appealing. If you don't find what I do appealing, then okay. You know, that's my take to that. I'm not portraying anything. What I'm doing is letting people have a window into my actual life. Um, I don't set up. So there's a lot of people out there like on YouTube and Instagram and you can call them Instagrammers or whatever you want. But, uh, I don't, I don't set up silly scenarios. I don't set up instances where it's like, <laughs> look what I did. I, I crashed my truck and it's so silly, you know, because I have a sponsor with an extra bumper or something that's going to send it to me. Everything I do, I actually do. I mean, I don't know if, uh, I think you guys will be able to see this. Like, I take moments and you guys will see this here. If you go to my page, you'll see this here. So I'm traveling through South Dakota and my wheels are all cracking. And I'm talking about the metal wheel. That's my son changing my tire on the back of a truck connected to my toy hauler in the snow. And this is not something I'm like, Hey, you know, it'll be really cool. You know, let's, uh, let's cause this problem. That's legitimately happening and giving me a headache. And then we'll take a really pretty picture and then we'll make people think that this is the way you should live your life. I am what I am, not to quote <laughs> the Bible, but I mean, I, I do what I do. I have tons of people who disagree with I, what I do for any various reasons. Um, I'm not against technology. I'm not against video games. I'm not against board games. I'm not against wood pegboards for entertainment. And I'm not I'm not against RVs. I travel any number of ways. I have that toy hauler. I have a military trailer with a rooftop tent that I use sometimes. I mean, I'm practical. I'm not trying to make my life difficult for entertainment value. Um, you know, we fly across because we talked last time. You said you uh, asked, you know, uh, if do I actually drive across the country or am I flying? And I do everything. I do everything I can to get where I want to go and experience what I want to experience, you know, in order to, like I said, amplify the experience we have as a family and stuff like that. So I guess the, the thing that I want anybody to take away from these glimpses or this window, which I use for people to see into my life, which is social media, I share these experiences with people. So they know that regardless of however they're doing it, you know, not everything's perfect. You know, not everything is going to be easy. I don't ever lie on social media and say like, you know, Oh, this is, this is the one widget that's going to solve your problems traveling. And I smile like with a wink, ding, you know, um, that's not me. I'm extremely blunt, straightforward. Um, I mean, I'm traveling in a 2014 Ford power stroke, which I put $30,000 worth of equipment onto. 
So if you're going to ask if I'm not modern, well, then God, no, I'm not modern. You know, nothing on, I have a refrigerator in the back of my truck, you know, given to me from Snowmaster. Um, you know, we, we talked about tag truck accessory group. They have a snug top. I have a very special snug top with two, you know, doors that not a lot of people know you can get from them. And I have a rooftop tent that's always on my truck. And, you know, these Baja designs lights that are ridiculously, you know, I think I push the limit on excessive, but I'm, I'm getting close to it. Um, so you're saying you're very modern or you're not modern? I'm, I'm as modern as I, as I need to be. I, my goal is just to accomplish what I, I want to do. You know, if that requires something special or requires innovation, then by all means, I'm all for it. I'm not against it. You know, I'm not here to spend my time driving to, you know, uh, South Dakota badlands. And then, you know, my, my goal isn't to get there and then whittle a stick. You know, I want to enjoy that. I want to experience it. And if that means I need to get a onyx hunt map to get around and find cool random things then i'll do that if i it means when i have a whole bunch of downtime between you know where i'm leaving and what my destination is and i have to make stops and that means using a playstation with my kids then fine do i like do that doing that all the time no but diversity is i think a good thing adversity is a great way to learn from things um and I, i'm not going to pigeonhole myself and say i'm some sort of i'm not a a bohemian traveler, if you will. I mean, uh, we, we said the bachelor travel styles and that includes women. You see these van lifer girls who are in these Mercedes sprinter vans, you know, they got all the wood paneling up their van. If that's the way they want to travel. Great. If that's the way I'm traveling. Great. If I'm traveling, that's great. So. I, I think it's refreshing because I know several instances of a really cool photo shoot taken with, you know, a fire's going and there's a little rabbit over it with an elk hanging in the tree. And then you turn around and walk up this little mountainside 20 feet to a parking lot of a Ritz Carlton hotel where they're really staying and staging all of their stuff for the week. Um, I've seen a lot of those type of photo shoots take place to where, where I'm going with it is that word portrayal again is you are doing something that is held sacred to you and your wife and you're teaching your kids this lifestyle of responsibility that there's a lot out there in this world this is a big world you're teaching uh camaraderie you're teaching independence but you're also teaching how you lean on each other and you work together as a team you're teaching accountability you're teaching manual labor work ethic everything that goes into being a father and mother and teaching your kids in the next generation do you wish that you did not even have the ability to portray this on what we call social media, meaning you go to a concert and everybody's up there watching the concert. Well, back when I started going to concert, there was no cell phones to record this. Now everybody's watching a concert through a four inch screen. What are they going to do with those videos? Are they going to put it up there? Like they're going to make money off a Garth Brooks concert. Are they going to go share that memory with family? Like, Oh, you should have seen him sing the river. It was different this time than the 4,000 times before. Like this mindset's weird that we have living through the screen. My question to you, Nate day and your adventures with your family. Do you wish there was no platforms of social media where you didn't have to worry about stopping and going, Oh, better get this picture filtered the right way and get it uploaded to see how many likes I get. And I'm not saying that you're seeing how many likes you get, but we've got this mindset now that we've got to get the picture. We've got to get the video proof. We got to see how much in, in me, how much engagement we get, how many impressions we get. Does this wear you out? I'm not trying to put a negative spin on your lifestyle. I'm simply asking, do you wish social media would go away and you could portray your lifestyle in different matters 
I don't know what those would be. Maybe it's that we get back to the black and whites, like Chevy Chase watching the videos in the attic in Christmas vacation. Is this okay with you that we're living through a four-inch screen, Nate Day? I, I think that's a, a very, very deep and not direct answerable question. Do I think it's okay? Yeah. I think if you're going to a Garth Brooks concert or Brooks and Dunn or whatever, and you're filming on a screen, you have to look at that audience. And I, I don't mean to get hyper analytical, but uh, my Asperger's won't allow me to answer that without answering as many aspects of it as I can. Do I, do I think it would be great if social media went away? Yeah. When uh, Facebook crashed, what was it like two weeks ago? And they claimed it was some technical glitch the day after the 60 minutes interview came out with the whistleblower or whatnot. I started laughing. I was laughing and laughing and laughing all the way to pick my kids up from school, you know, and I thought it was hilarious because I know I'm not, I'm not living in a vacuum. I mean, I, I, for lack of a better term, swim amongst a sea of social media influencers of varying degrees. I mean, there's, there's the truck people, there's the 50,000 mom bloggers, if you will. And all these people are freaking out. They're like, what are we going to do? And at the same time, I'm thinking, well, how shitty has social media been lately to the lives of people? You know, it's this weird, addictive thing. I don't remember the name of that Netflix show that came on. Uh, they had that movie about how, how Facebook actually worked. The Social Dilemma. Yeah, that one. I mean, if you watch that, you're like, wow, this is alarming. You know, how this works and how this plays into people's psyches and why they're doing things and why they think certain things are important and things like that. And in a way, yeah, I think it would be great to do away with social media, but at the same time, uh, I don't fault people for wanting to do it because you have to look at them and, and think, what is it they think they're getting out of recording this with their phone? You know, do I think personally for myself, is it a, is it a hindrance? Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's one of those things where I go out and do it and I'm like, God, I, ugh, I don't want to do this right now. I know I need to get a picture for whatever reason of this, this place or this thing or whatever I'm doing. And I, I do it because it's my, my job. And yeah, I wish sometimes there are times where I think, God, I would like to not do this, but I also have times as a cop where I was like, Jesus Christ, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm tired of coming to this house. I am tired of dealing with this drug addict, you know, and not just, you know, how many times do I have to see a dead person? I, I never had a problem with that really, but over a certain circumstance I had an issue with, you know, you got cops out there who's just like, this sucks. This is not improving my life. And this clearly isn't improving the community's life because this never ends. It's a never ending thing. So if you take social media and you compare it to like a vice, and there's so many vices out here. You could just, uh, I don't know where you're going to draw the line and be like, well, this vice is okay to live with and eat your life away. But this vice, no, no, we're going to get rid of this one because you're not, you're never going to see this Brooks and Cotton, you know, done concert ever again. And, you're not going to make money off of it. And uh, there's any number of ways of looking at it. There are so many photos on my, I think I have like 4,000 pictures on this iPhone that I've had less than a year. And I don't spend my time looking at all of them. It doesn't even give me a true peace of mind knowing I have them all, but it's still something we do. It's a part of our culture, you know, and knowing that in a moment now that that's available to me to be able to record it because I think it's important. Maybe it puts less pressure on my brain to focus on it maybe it takes away from an experience because i put a phone between myself and that you know what i mean yeah if my experience with you is i mean there's any number of ways of looking at it and i i couldn't give you a definitive answer because i could put two people next to each other doing these two same things like mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know 
we're doing this, filming this concert. And one could be doing it because they want to show their grandma because she gave them the tickets or whatever. You know, they thanks for sending me this concert. Here's Brooks and Dunn, or here's a live feed of it because you don't get to be here because you're in a hospital bed. And the other one could be saying, I'm going to be so cool because people are going to watch this and they're going to know that I got to go to this concert and I was in the third row, you know, and he looked at me in the concert and winked, you know, there's, there's just too many ways to look at it to give a definitive answer. So, but regardless, we are watching concerts in the world through a four inch screen constantly. I want you to tell me Nate day with you making part of your living through this social media platform, which we do too. We, I don't think guilty is the right word, but we are part of it too. Give me besides the livelihood or the earnings that you can earn revenue stream, meaning through a good following of being what you called an Instagrammer or Insta famous or whatever you might be. Just give me, if there are any, what's positive about social media? You know, I, I think it's the same thing you can ask about art. Um, you might, and you can have a cynical look at it and you're like, oh, that's not art. Well, do you think, I'm going to ask you this back. Do you think when you're, I forgot, you have kids, right? I have a 10-year-old daughter. Okay. So when your daughter was eight years old and she drew a picture for you, and I don't know if you guys put them on your refrigerator, right? Was that art? Yes. To me, yeah. And I, I'm probably a hoarder when it comes to that type of stuff. Okay. So if one of your, your friends or coworkers, maybe somebody a little less, more of an acquaintance came over and looked at it, do you think they'd look Rembrandt or would it be the same kind of art to them? No. Not at all. So it's entirely subjective. And so anytime somebody takes a picture, because before social media was really what it is, I mean, I, I was in college when, in 2004, when Facebook came out, whatever, um, I was a photographer. I shot for magazines in Los Angeles and I didn't do it to put it on social media. So that wasn't really a playing factor, but the, the pictures I took in between jobs, you know, I would, and the cool thing about Los Angeles and, and being out there is a lot of random things happen. And I remember, um, I think I told you, I think it was you I told that I would trade my magazine ad space for gear. And so I would go to a camera shop and say, hey, I need the 400, this really giant telephoto lens. And then I would go down the street to the uh, FBR, the federal building and photograph a protest, you know, and you'd have to ask me like, why, Nate, would you be photographing the Persians? Because it was a Persian protest against some, I forgot their new leader in that country that they were mad about. Right. And um, why would I go take those pictures? And I wasn't putting them in a museum and they weren't going into a magazine, but as a matter of practice, it was the craft and the art that I was practicing and sharing that is a big part of the human experience, if you will. I mean, you can mock them because you don't like categories of people like teenagers and, uh, you know, these Instagram travel influencer people. And you could say what they're doing is, is fake. It's a facade. It's, it's whatever, but regardless of what they do and how they do it, it still falls into the grand category of art, just like, you know, cavemen put their hand on a wall and trace their hand and drew the Buffalo they, or bison or whatever it is they were trying to kill hunting because what was that supposed to mean? I mean, why would they record that? Why would they record 
these things because that's what that is. They're recording them in a cave. Was anybody going to see them? Maybe. Do you think they were like, hey, you know, it's really cool. Oh, Uh Yeah. What's up? Ugg Bob. Somebody a million years from now is going to look at my my hand painting and think, damn, that's that's valuable. No, they were doing it because it was recording life. And it may not be valuable to you, just like your daughter's drawing when she's eight years old and your refrigerator doesn't mean much to your acquaintance. It's still art. It still means something for that period of time for that person. And so I guess in a deeper look, it doesn't matter what you're doing, social media or not. It's all applied to the art of life. That whole giant, massive, infinite canvas. So that's my that's my take on that. It's a good argument, but there's a part of me that wants to say, so we're all artists in our own mind is what you, you're saying, Nate Day. I get that. And we can all be our own photographer. We can all be an artist to what we are, like the, the, like the example you gave of my daughter's refrigerator work. I just, I'm asking the line of questioning because it's, it's become a dumpster of just nonstop swiping and nonstop depression and nonstop jealousy and not I'm, I'm looking for the positives and what you call art. There's, it seems like it's all negative that comes out of it. I don't go to Instagram and look at it like, wow, Nate took another great picture. That's going to be his Rembrandt for the next decade. I don't look at it like that. I'm not saying like I go on, I'm not a swiper. I'm saying that I have read and I'm not saying this in a a pretentious way. Like I'm asking for a buddy kind of deal. I've heard stories of high school kids, girls, younger kids, adults that have had to get off of it because of the the downturn that it's causing the downward spin that it's causing in their lives i'm not trying to turn this conversation into negative i'm trying to look for the positives in what social media really is and if i asked you you said i got a phone and i'm holding up my phone it's a year old i got four thousand pictures on it I would guarantee you that barely anybody sees those pictures because I'm the same way. Until a year ago, I made a commitment to myself that I'm taking every one of my immediate family's phones, mine, my brother's, my mom's, and I'm going to print out every picture with their permission, of course, and they're going to go through it and they're going to obviously filter through the ones they don't want me to see, if you know what I mean. But what I'm simply saying is now I have this stack of leather bound photo albums like my mom and dad did when I grew up. I can touch them. I can feel them. When people come to my house, they're going through them and they're recollecting, they're they're reminiscing. They're going, oh, wow, I remember this. Hey, where were you here? What's this? I have these tables made, Nate Day, that we, I, I want to start this company called Converse. They're glass tables, three-eighths inch glass, all in this really cool uh, concrete table that I had custom made. I have five of them. And under that glass is photos or it's ticket stubs. It's stuff that starts conversation. People sit down, they're eating. They're like, oh, I was at an Aerosmith show. I remember this one time I was and it starts conversation. I'm not saying that that's the only way, but I'm saying that once I started taking these pictures and making them touchable and fillable, like, oh my God, I can actually feel it. They're tactile. Yes, they become something more to me. It seems to me like we've gotten away with even the memory supposed to be about because it's just stored on this thing. And then we're sitting here going, wait, I'll find it. Give me three more minutes. And then by the time I find it, it's lost its allure because I don't have it filed in a perfect folder of me going in and going, boom, look at my picture. It's become like this. It's become just like this dumpster of swiping, whether you're on Instagram or Facebook or in your own personal photo library, you're just swiping and swiping and swiping, trying to find that one picture that you took years ago 
it's almost impossible to keep up. I don't know if I'm making sense at all, but I don't, I'm trying to find the positive in all of this because yeah, like you said, there's nothing that you can put your hands on anymore. It's nothing. Well, you can, I, like, I understand. I understand what you're saying. And I, I totally understand your point. But again, I think that's just a difference in mechanism in the way we record our lives. Again, if we were if we were to go back to people, if we were to say like our older generations were wiser, right? If we were to make that assumption, we could go back decades and decades and nobody had more than one picture. You know what I mean? They had, If they even were lucky, you know, the times of shortly after Abraham Lincoln, we're looking in the 1860s, 1870s when photography, you know, you had to sit there and you ever wonder why those people didn't smile in those pictures? Yeah, I've wondered it. Because they couldn't. The picture took too long and they'd move. So they had to hold a resting face because it took a while to expose the photograph. You know, they had the little flasher. But other than that, you couldn't smile because you had to hold it for so long to get the picture going through that little hole in that wooden camera. And so that's, I, I mean, when I started out, that's what was told to me as a photographer. I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense. And actually, it was one reason I really like candid photos when I started shooting. And you know, people would walk away with that. And you, if you look into a lot of houses in the Midwest, you'll have like granny's picture or great grandma's picture or something like that. And it's a white frame. Usually it's a white mat and it's an oval shaped picture. And it's one lady looking off in the distance like this, holding her pose, just like a painting, right? Cause it's the same pose as you would use in a painting because they didn't know any better. And that's the way they, they did everything. Um, you could ask them like, and they would probably look at you and be like, you've got too many pictures. What the hell do you need? 20 pictures for you know what i mean and it's an it's an endless dumpster of 20 pictures they could look at don't you have other things to do like tend to your fields or go to work you know idle hands make there's the devil's play thing what are you doing on a phone you know what i mean and there are so many things to look at yeah you could look at it in, in a negative aspect but you can also just think to yourself like we live in a completely different age we live in a completely different way of doing things you know um I didn't realize until I was in college why it is when you go to a museum, certain art meant something or held certain value. You know what I mean? You go see a Picasso and you look at his like blue period or whatever. I don't know much about Picasso, but you look at his paintings and then you realize without context, this is just a weird painting. This is, doesn't make much. I mean, he did some interesting things with angles and colors, but I, I don't understand what's going on. And then you start learning about the fact that he was painting in a fascist Spain. You know what I mean? And he was doing what he did in the face of a government who wanted something different. And then you, you, ha you now have context. You have context to something else. I can't, I can't answer any of your questions about, you know, the endless dumpster of phone scrolling. That's it just, it is what it is. And it's an old cop adage. You know, you can look at something and be upset about it, but it is what it is. Um, lack of organization sucks, but <laughs> so, you got what you got. So if it is what it is and that's your mindset, can't somebody like Nate Day and his lovely family get us back to where we once were? Can we get back to not scrolling? Are you a scroller? A are you a scroller? Are you telling me that you wake up in your RV on the road and and you get your coffee and then you grab your phone and wonder what other people are doing on social media? Come on, Nate. You don't do no. that, do you? No, not, not really. at all. But I come from a, a pinnacle point of my generation. So I'm a millennial. Yay. Um, but I'm also at that part where I grew up up until high school without a computer in my house. You know what I mean? And when I wanted to call somebody, I either had to go to a payphone 
you know, we didn't have money for a cell phone. That was an absurd luxury, you know? And then we have kids younger than me or people, adults younger than me who grew up with a cell phone by the time they were in middle school. You know what I mean? And this has nothing. I mean, no, God, no, I'm not going to be able to change anybody into being a different type of human being or change the course of our culture. I don't Why? want to. I have no desire to have that responsibility. It's not a responsibility. You can do it through example. You could do no, it in a different a way. That's a responsibility. If you look at a celebrity and say, well, you, you're supposed to set an example. Well, that example is a responsibility somebody's putting on them to not swear in front of the camera and say, to not drink. I'm, I'm saying that you can start doing, th <laughs> you can start doing things different. You can start doing things different to where you're not, you're, you're not having the, the intended audience be something that has to see it through social media. How about a live yeah, Nate day and family event to where we all go out and we learn how to live off the land. We learn how to travel. We learn how to change a tire. We learn how to make a fire. We learn how to cook a chucker partridge and foil on an open spit. We learn how to do all of this stuff. Can you teach us that kind of stuff to where we're not just looking at your pictures and wondering how the hell does he do this? Well, I either teach myself or learn from my father. So you got a, you got a great organization that used to exist called the boy scouts could teach you lots of that stuff aside from corruption and weird things going on there yeah but uh i mean <laughs> that's like a, that's a boy scout slash eagle scout type scenario um if you're looking for that or if you don't want to go to that you can go to wood or metal shop or auto shop or whatever which is school. hard to find these days now it, it is and even you know social studies is hard to find in, in schools now but if I mean, if that's your, if your desire, uh, no, I have no desire to be part of that. And the reason is you don't want to be I part of the revolution. Nate, Nate. You're telling me you don't want to be part of the revolution that teaches people what we need to know. There's no, gotta no. be some kind of breaking point. There's gotta, we gotta start learning what we really need to know in this world. You've learned a I lot not, since college. I will not be that camel with that straw. Why? You know, you're, you, you're an athlete. You got, you could shoulder it. I could tell by talking to you for as long as we've talked now that you have this inner psyche that you could absolutely <laughs> be a mentor to many oh, I, Americans, uh, many I people around the world. Could, but doing it in person is a lot harder than doing it on social media, first of all. And second of all, time constraints and, and uh, necessity, it, it would be absolutely boggling to, to be able to handle that kind of workload in person. And not to crush the spirit of this conversation, but I mean, my responsibilities fall on one woman and four little boys, and I will give as much as myself to them as I can to make sure they're okay and they're successful and they have what they need, as opposed to anybody else who can't figure out how to change a tire because they can't Google it, you know? There's, that's why you just said I mean, Google on how to change a tire. This is, this is what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, I, you gotta do what you gotta do because I mean, here's another thing. So I'm driving through New Mexico and this is on, this is early February last year and I'm transitioning over from El Paso into New Mexico. And all of a sudden there's a strange clanking on the left side of my truck. And I'm like, what the hell? Like I thought I hit a bolt or something weird. And I'm pulling a trailer that's 13,000 pounds. And I've got all my family in the truck. And I finally decide I'm, I'm getting off the freeway. This is just not right. Things aren't going well. And I sheared three studs off my truck. You know, the things that hold your wheel to your truck, those little threaded bolts that go through your drum. Oh, yeah. And your <laughs> out of your axle. Sheared them off. Completely gone. And this is three out of eight. So it means I got five left holding this 13,000 pound trailer in my 13,000 pound truck. I'm a little overladen. And uh, I'm just like, shit, man, nothing's going right here. But you know what? I changed those studs. 
I knocked him out with a sledgehammer and a large, a little bitty uh, pry bar because I had to move the brake caliper out of the way. Knocked him out, grabbed my impact gun, and uh, sucked new ones in. It took me a day to get new ones because I had to find a Ford dealership and limp over without my trailer because I was afraid I'd lose my axle or something. And I picked him up, came over, and did this all in the parking lot. I put in new studs by myself. You know where I learned how to do that? YouTube. And I did it in the parking lot I stopped at because I've never had to do that. I didn't go to shop. I didn't have, my dad never taught me how to do that. So I Googled it and I Googled it in an abandoned winery, you know, in a parking lot of an abandoned winery. I, I'll never look down on anybody who figures out how to save themselves, help themselves or help another person by Googling it. It's, it's an unfortunate fact. If you look at America now versus America in the fifties, and I'm using a hyperbolic America, you know, uh, we don't have dads at home doing this. I mean, the generation before mine was officially the latchkey kid generation. They come home when both their parents are working. They didn't spend their Saturdays and Sundays in the driveway changing oil with their dad. I mean, fortunately, I did that old joke about holding a flashlight for your dad while he changes the alternator. I learned how to do those things from my dad. I didn't learn everything from him. You know, I just I remember I remember it was 11 o'clock at night in Hilton, Oklahoma, where I was living. And I'm holding a flashlight and my dad's giving me that. No, I said, hold it here. Shine a light here. Oh, yeah. And I'm basically I'm crying because I'm like, I don't know how to hold his flashlight right to make you happy. He's like, I need to see the starter because he needed to go work in the morning. So this job wasn't going to be done until it was done. And that means we were up till, you know, 11 or midnight in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma. And I mean, I could all the lights in my neighbor's houses a mile away turned off because we lived on a 13 acre farm and they were on a 20 acre farm. And um that's how i learned some things but i can't learn all things like i can't i'm not omniscient i can't learn all things and know all things all the time and there's a ton of things i had to learn how to do i mean even when i asked my wife how to do some some things like hey how do i fill out this this insurance form she's like i don't know that's you got to do it i'm doing my job you do your job figure it out look it up it's it's a blessing and a curse that we can look these things up you know because okay so let me ask you let me ask you about your own kids it's, it's funny how we're, we're supposed to be on this freaking podcast talking about your adventures. Okay. But <laughs> I always get the truth. My mind truth. is messed. My mind is messed up, Nate. I apologize in advance. Um, That's okay. How do you teach your kids? Oh, just go Google it. Or do you take the time to go out and be dad of the year like my dad was? But I had the same dad. Hey, let's go split wood. And then when I tried to split wood, it wasn't his way. So he scared me from ever wanting to split wood again. That's why when you look at my hands, there's not a whole lot of calluses on them. I, I was pretty much scared of manual labor because I never did it right. Like you said, the flashlight example. That was... I could never grab the right screwdriver. I would never grab the right size socket. It was always the same shit. But how are you? Are you more, are you patient? Are you not that dad that says, Hey, you're not holding the, the flashlight at the right angle. I need to see the starter. Or are you like lead by example and say, Hey, here's a better way to hold the flashlight. So your shoulder doesn't feel like you got pins going into it and somebody's, you know, punching you in it. Cause it's so sore from holding up so long. Like there's a lot of, a lot of ways to teach kids. Now you, you mentioned one of them, just go watch YouTube in an abandoned parking lot in a winery. Well, I mean, you got to look at the kids that have to do that because they don't have a parent. Like I, I said, I understand that. I'm asking you though for a scenario. If I if I do it, like I told you before, I didn't. I definitely didn't tell my son to Google how to drive an F three fifty in a trailer and set it up. That that's a hands on thing he has to learn. I like to teach my kids as many things as I possibly can, but I also can't rip my brain apart and think uh, I'm failing to teach them this. I'm failing. There's a ton of things I'm not going to be able to teach them. 
I realize that. Here's here's a dark fact that I had to realize a long time ago. I'm uh, in a pursuit. I'm driving down the road, and this guy. I wasn't the first one in the pursuit, but they're shooting an AR-15 at one of my partners, right? Backwards from the car, and it's in one of these moments that I realize I might not see my kids again. You know, uh, there's just a chance. God knows that cops aren't invincible. And I think, uh, man, there's a lot I'm not going to be there for if this doesn't work out well. And there's so many things you could list endlessly. All the things a dad is supposed to do with his son. You know, I want to be like you, dad. And I'm not going to get those moments. And so I thought about it and I was like, okay, cool. And there's no way to defeat that. There's no way to beat the things I want to teach them versus my capability of even when I'm there of actually teaching them. I mean, if I'm not a monolith for any single subject, I'm not just a traveler. I'm not just a dad. I'm not just a husband. I'm not just myself. I'm all these things and finding a balance is part of, you know, being able to do that. Now, as far as the way I teach my kids. Yeah. Anytime I can, I teach them what I can. I mean, I have YouTube videos of me, taking a bumper off the front of my wife's Jeep and putting on a brand new winch and talking to them about not electrocuting themselves with a battery. <laughs> this is how you don't die. Don't touch both ends of a battery. I mean, hopefully that also trans uh, transitions to any other thing they're doing with electricity. Like don't touch the red one and the black one at the same time. You know, I have them when I replace a fan in my, my uh, bedroom, you know, the ceiling fan. I had sparks shoot all over the house. I wired everything up as well as I could. This is a 1963 house, but as soon as I fastened it up, it smashed some old ground wire or something and just shit poured out of the roof like it was a concert. And I was like, holy shit. So I turned off the, the switch and they're like, uh, what happened? I was like, that was not supposed to happen. And they learned from me from experience. Now, on a personal level, do I fail and become an inpatient dad? Yeah. Yeah, I definitely do. I definitely get those flashlight moments where I'm like, holy shit, just hold the fucking light right where I need it. Because Jesus Christ, I just got to put this last bolt in. And where's my 10 millimeter? You know what I mean? Does that happen? Hell yeah. But something I learned from my dad when I was little, or at least I picked up from him, was his goal was to improve upon his situation with his dad. And that his goal was that I would do the same and that we would improve our generations by making the effort to do it better than our dad did. His dad abandoned him when he's 10 years old. His mom was an alcoholic. He grew up on the streets basically because he had nobody to teach him to do anything because his mom was preoccupied with drinking and his dad was in another state. He had a sister and a brother. Um, to put it bluntly, my dad had rage issues like you wouldn't believe. I mean, he's 6'5", 340 pounds. He could bench 650 pounds. And, and I'm not pretending like he was a quintessential eighties football player. I mean, he's missing teeth down here. He doesn't, he knocked out of his head in football and <laughs> that's what raised me also my mother. So I try to be as compassionate as possible. I have a certain sense of responsibility and seriousness when we do certain things and I pass on hands-on as much as I can. But if there's things that I haven't taught them by the time they're 18 years old or off in college and like, Hey dad, I don't know how to reset or defrag my computer. I would just say, you know how to learn how to find it, right? You know, the funny thing is you go to college and you think a college education is going to make you smart. It doesn't. It teaches you how to find information. It teaches you how to objectively learn things. That's what I want to teach my kids. If I haven't taught them that, then I've taught them jack shit, you know? But if I teach them how to do those things, how to find their information, if they use Google, well, good for them. If they use a dictionary or an encyclopedia, if you could find an encyclopedia, <laughs> good for you. 
You know, my wife loves books. We try to teach them how the library works, you know, teach your kid how to find the appropriate information and give them good character and you'll have good kids. That's it. Well said by the Nate day. We might have to do a part three. Do you want to do a part three? I mean, there's so much more to talk about, isn't there? Well, we could do this endlessly. I could talk forever and ever and ever. <laughs> maybe you need to kind start. Like maybe you need Instagram. to start your own podcast, Nate Day, on teaching people no, how I, to how to listen to podcasts. <laughs> something we can do there. That's Nate Day. We're going to be back with him again. We got to do part three. I enjoy these conversations. I like learning. I want to get in. I told you what to think about for part two at the end of part one. So here we are at the end of part two. I want you to think about this, Mr. Nate day for the beginning of part three. You just talked about how you, you know, you want to teach your kids the library. You want to teach them how to be responsible. We've also compared that to how you were brought up. It's a lot of the same way I was brought up. Um, Will your kids go to college? Don't answer now. You're a college athlete. You're a college graduate. Your wife's a college graduate. You have kids that are, a couple of them are nearing that age of high school, graduation. Is it always going to be homeschooling? Will there be a chance to go to a university, a community college, two-year school, four-year school, a BS, a, a BA, an AA, a master's, a doctorate? PhD, all this. Is this a is this a possibility in the day family right now with your youngins, your four monstrous boys as you describe them? I'm sure they're sweethearts down to the core. But I want to talk about that. I want to get into part three about how you and your wife look at the future in the next decade of where these kids are going to be. Because I often think about that. I look at how people drive on just the roads around where we live, how it used to be so slow down, pump the brakes. Everybody was respectful and patient. And now it's like the freaking Indy 500 with cars zigging in and out of 18 wheelers, trying to get to the new industrial center, trying to get to the new hospital, trying to get to the new construction center to drop off the dirt, the load of dirt. It's just, it's crazy dangerous. So I often think, do I want my wife up there? I mean, do I want my daughter in there driving when she's 16? These are the things that go through my head, and that's six years away. It'll go by like a flash. I hope it doesn't, but I'm sure it will. But let's talk about this next time, Nate, on where you see your kids being, what you want for them. I know that it's probably going to start off a little something like this. Well, they're going to be on their own. They're going to have to make their own decisions. And my goal and my wife's goal is to give them as much information. I, I think it's going to be like that, but maybe you'll surprise me. We're going to be back well, with Nate Day. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Any no, ending no, words no. for next, part two? But, next time we meet up, uh, you, you asked me about the two Ds and how my dad said I was going to pay for college. And two I'll explain Ds, that answer. Two Ds and how your dad's going to pay for college. I will write that note down. Lear. Made with meat, Jack Daniels. Thank you all so much for believing in the culture of what we do here at The Foul Life. This life ain't for everybody where the payment ends. Brand new episodes of The Foul Life TV airing starting the week of November 12th, 2021, exclusively on the Outdoor Channel. We truly appreciate all the support of our new provider brand, theproviderlife.com. Get our new dry rubs. The cookbook comes out November 9th. Next week, we're fired up. You can pre-order it. We're number one right now on all cookbooks, all genre cookbooks on Amazon. I can't believe it. The provider is number one in the world right now. Thank you all so much for the support of that Chad building for Nate day. This has been another episode of this life ain't for everybody podcast. I'm going to lead you out with this song by my good buddy, Leith Lofton. What's she going to do when the money's all gone? I'd rather be poor living off in a hole. Life on earth won't last too long. So what you going to do 
when the money's all gone. Gemini.